0: And welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy city executives and entrepreneurs empowered and healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster. I'm a nutritional therapist based in Harley Street, London, and my community and I believe that your health matters. And when you're building a business or your love life is not where you would like it to be, it's understandable that you might forget to look after your body and your mind. But you are your number one asset, and without you, none of your life would happen and I'm committed to helping you take care of you, despite your busy schedule. And to help us with that mission, today on the show we have the honor of having Dr. Sean Hussain on the show. Dr. Hussain is the founder of The Health Studio, which helps individuals and organizations reverse the symptoms of stress-related health conditions. Dr. Hussain, thank you so much for coming on to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Stephanie. Yes, I'm very impressed with uh, the introduction that you give to your work there. It's certainly something I can get, very much get behind.
0: <laughs> yes, I think um, uh, your website inspired me a lot too. So it's, it's, it's wonderful to, to have like-minded people on the show. So, Doctor, for those of uh, of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us in your own words a little bit about your journey into becoming the epic doctor that you are.
1: <laughs> oh, you're very kind. Uh, so yes, my name is Shan. Uh, I've been a doctor for nearly twenty years now. I graduated from Imperial College, and I did a lot of um, postgraduate hospital medicine-based work until becoming a general practitioner in two thousand and seven. Uh, and it was quite a journey going through general practice over the previous twelve years or so. And noticed really how, firstly, how much uh, busy we were getting, how uh, increased the demand were that were being made upon us by several patients and also how many problems were really preventable by looking at uh, health issues and how we can manage such conditions in a more holistic way and that's really got what got me interested in in prevention to be honest Um, looking at how we can prevent so many illnesses how we can help people take care of their own health and um, stop them from needing to come in and see us
0: Yes, and that's the bit that I loved about your website. It's about taking responsibility for the actions that you take, being empowered and being proactive and an active participant in your health. And just because you get a diagnosis, that doesn't mean that's your fate. There are things you can do to help improve your your, your life and, and your lifestyle choices have a huge impact on the quality of your life. And I adored the bit on your website where it says over 80% of medical problems are thought to be related to lifestyle. And we believe a lifestyle problem also needs a lifestyle solution. And I agree. And I believe nutrition plays a really big role. And so does exercise. And we treat exercise like it's an optional extra, but it's as necessary as brushing your teeth, which we do unprompted. So yeah, t- tell us a little bit about how lifestyle affects us.
1: Uh, Yes, very much so. I mean, you know, if we think about who we are as individuals, any biology student will tell you that we're a combination of our genes expressed in our environment. And, you know, whilst we can't easily change our genes, we've all got the ability to uh, make changes in our interactions with the environment and how that can really show up in our health. So, yes, you're absolutely right. I, I agree with everything you say. You know, we've got to do our bits, look after our own health, And one thing that I'm noticing is that increasingly we've got more and more medications now than any time in history yet. Despite that, we're not living as long. Life expectancy is falling across many parts of the developed world in parts of the UK. And so it's becoming increasingly clear that we can't out-medicate our way out of lifestyle health issues. We've got to do what we can to look after ourselves. Evidence-based, proven approaches to support our own health and well-being.
0: And that's what I love about your practice. You are proactive in preventative measures. You don't just prescribe pills left, right and centre. Um, you you're very much come from a, well, what can we do to prevent medication being uh, treated really as the, as the final resort? And that's what I like. And it's also to do with mindset and an attitude and not being a victim of your diagnosis, but being empowered. So Let's talk about mindset and mental health and emotional well-being and, and how that affects a, a person's health and vibrancy.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, a good example of what I talk about is, uh, I mean, I've, I've uh, treated many patients, you know, thousands of patients with depression over the years as a general practitioner. And one thing I'll always say to patients, in certain cases where if we have to start medication, We've still got to be clear and make sure that we're encouraging and supporting people to take those positive lifestyle steps that will support their own mental health and emotional well-being. So, you know, someone who's sitting at home just uh, taking antidepressants every day, not doing anything else different, it's not going to magically cure itself. Uh, we've got to do what we can, you know, getting out outdoors, getting some sunshine, movement, activity, what we're engaging in, and the people we're spending time with, you know, people that we see, they can sometimes raise our spirits or they can really drain our energy. And we've got to get that balance right uh, and find the right balance that really support our own health and well-being.
0: Yes. And I'm, I call it uh, surrounding yourself with your tribe. And what I'm really enjoying about introducing my clients to one another uh, with my events in London is that uh, everyone is finding new friends and forming Uh, healthy relationships with people who have health as their priority, so they're no longer going to the pub drinking pints, but meeting each other, having a juice or a water or nothing at all, and just meeting and and having that tribe and that community and, and sharing your goals and aspirations with people who really get you. And that's very emotionally nourishing. And if we're emotionally nourishing ourselves, then we don't need to get those emotions met from food, which is often one of the reasons why people overeat.
1: Yes, I agree. I mean, you know, if your best friends all overeat and go to the same restaurant every night, then chances are you will. You know, if if your best friends are going to the pub after work and having five pints, then there's a higher chance that you probably will. But then at the same time, if you have a circle of uh, people in your immediate peer group who are exercising, you know, five days a week, then it's more likely that you're going to start to engage in those sort of positive lifestyle habits that will really support your health. So it's absolutely critical that we make sure that we have a good... Uh, positive environment around us with some uh, people who are supportive of of our own health and well-being.
0: That's so true, because it's not just illness that rubs off, uh, that is contagious. It's also health and healthy habits. I I ended up hanging out with these people who uh, do rock climbing, and I started rock climbing, which I wouldn't have done had I not met this lovely group. And uh, my nails haven't been the same since, but uh, never mind, it was all worth it. Um, So I want to talk about your books and... What inspired you to write the big prescription, and who should read who should read it, and who really needs to hear that message?
1: Well, writing a book um, it was something that I wanted to do for a long time. I never thought I'd actually successfully do it, uh, but. One of my beliefs is that I think everyone's got a book inside them that uh, needs to come out, and uh, I would highly recommend people uh, look at what they can to do that, because it really is one of the most fulfilling things that one can do. What inspired me to write it was very much what we talked about a moment ago, about the increasing uh, demand being made upon doctors across the country, across the National Health Service, and, and how chronic conditions are on the rise, and... A lot of it comes back to my style. So I thought, well, what can I put together that will be um, easily digestible and understandable for a layperson? So I didn't go into tons of scientific jargon or anything like that. I wanted to keep it very light and simple so that um, people could read it without needing to have a medical degree and understand it and hopefully, ideally, put it into practice. So that was the reason why I wrote it. In terms of who should read it, well, obviously I'm, I'm biased. I'm going to say everyone should read it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, I appreciate my work is not for everybody. And, you know, some people aren't really interested in improving health. That's absolutely fine. That's a decision that I completely respect. But it's really for people who are wanting to have more from their health. What well, They want more from their own well-being, not just being free from disease, but having, you know, well-being, energy, vitality to help with uh, their performance, whether it's professionally or personally. And so that's really who I wrote it for. And uh, I've had some wonderful feedback over the years. It's, it's coming up to nearly three years old now. Uh, I amazing. can't believe where the time has gone. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yes, it's, uh, it's something I'm still very proud of, um, although my work has evolved a little bit since then.
0: And, and I absolutely love that. And you mentioned the NHS earlier and as controversial as it might seem, I actually really believe that the NHS is a wonderful thing for us to have. I In, in its current state, it's not at its best and I, I support uh, its improvement daily and I wish it to continue, but it doesn't provide us optimal health. Of course not. It's not where to do that. But um, for optimal health, we need to be proactive and find information like in your first book, but also your second book, Uh, killing stress which gives a lot of tips of how to live optimally tell us uh, what inspired you to write killing stress and who should read that and who needs to hear that a a lot of my um, clients are stressed out and I'm sure they would benefit from that but it's not just people who live in the city stress is a perception um, and you can get that wherever you are in the world so tell us about killing stress
1: Yes, you're right. Uh, Stress is a perception. Um, Stress, I believe, is probably the uh, source of pretty much all disease, if not uh, uh, certainly all non-genetic illness. Um, It really comes back to you know what's happening around us and what impact it's having on us, whether it's physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress, or social stress. And it comes back to how we're responding to that, what it's doing to us, and how it's showing up, whether it's in terms of health or illness, um, is the message is not to say that all stress is bad. We, we do benefit. There's a lot of scientific evidence to support the fact that some stress is good. But when it becomes harmful, when it becomes detrimental, it can show up in so many different ways, uh, whether it's tiredness, uh, weight gain, weight loss, anxiety, depression, addictions, and it can lead to you know, certain food habits, you know, contributing to situations like type 2 diabetes, obesity, even heart disease. Uh, certain cancers have stress elements to them as well. So it's really important that we recognize this connection and do what we can to manage the stress that's going on around us. I think if we look around what's happening in the world today, I've never known times to be more stressful than they are right now.
0: I agree. I there's,
1: yeah, there's, there's some crazy things happening. It's probably even worse town in London, I guess, um, but... We've got to remember that, as you correctly say, stress is a perception, you know, no mm-hmm. one can actually physically hand
0: you stress. It's a completely abstract um, concept. And one of the
1: things that um, a gentleman who I interviewed recently, Malcolm Kendrick, talked about was we shouldn't really use the word stress. We should really say strain because stress is the external force and strain is what it does to us. And if we're allowing that stress to cause strain upon us, that's what it can show us as illness. But if we manage that stress, if we prevent it from causing that strain, then a lot of those symptoms just seem to magically disappear. And that's really what I wanted to share with people and and get that message out.
0: I agree. And I also see that stress has an empowering response or a victim response, depending on whether you feel you chose that stress or not. So I might choose to hike or or climb a wall, or do a boxing class, or something. I've chosen that stress, I've consciously chosen that stress, but if for some reason I illogically feel that I haven't chosen the stress that I'm experiencing in my job, even though I applied for the job, and I got the job, uh, then if you feel that it's been put upon you, then your reaction to that stress is somewhat different, and you feel like you're a victim of your circumstances, and then the, the, the negative connotation to stress does spiral, Yes,
1: yes. Stress itself is not the problem. It's it's how we perceive that stress and how we react to it. And it's important that we make sure that we have a healthy reaction to such situations.
0: And to anyone who's listening, I I want to let them know that you have a download on your site um, of Killing Stress, which is amazing.
1: Yes, if you go to thehealthstudio.net, you can download it for free. Um, And uh, so it's a short book. It's uh, nice and digestible and uh, I, I do hope you enjoy it
0: and then you've got wake up which is your third book you've been busy so wake up tell us about that
1: well technically it's not my book that's an anthology of uh, i think about 20 different writers it was put together by a friend of mine in california called uh, stephen schmidt who wanted to uh, approach a number of writers about different elements to health um looking at things uh, not just physically, but emotionally and psychologically and spiritually and having something very broad put out there And uh, yes, it's a, it's a very good book. It's got uh, a gentleman called Wim Hof, the Iceman I uh, love him He was him. one of the contributors yeah. And uh, it was uh, an art experience writing and I think um, each chapter was about 1,500 words And So Stephen asked me to do a contribution and I was very happy to help him
0: And did you speak to Wim Hof?
1: No, I didn't speak to Mr. Harfo I would very much like to one day, I'm sure I will.
0: Gosh. Um, so I, 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 it always gives me chills watching him do the, uh, where, where he swims under the ice. Uh, and I think that's just that's extraordinary.
1: Fascinating and very inspiring.
0: I struggle when the heating go- packs in, but uh, I don't know how he manages. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, you mentioned that you have another book coming up and what's that's going to explore?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is a uh, world exclusive, actually. Um we're, we're talking at the moment to um, seven different publishing houses about this, and it's hopefully going to be – it really depends on, you know, what happens at uh, the whole sort of um, management process, but it's hopefully going to be out by the end of this year. And it's going to talk about social health. You know, health is defined, as we know um, – by the World Health Organization as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. And for doctor, for years, doctors pretty much exclusively talked about only physical health, and it's only in the last few decades we started to talk about mental health and uh, it started to get the attention it deserves. I'm going to talk about social health and how that can really lead to so many different illnesses. Um, you know how and who we interact with in our environment and what that does to our overall health and well-being. So I'm going to take a lot of evidence-based approaches and really demonstrate that to people because I think it's a message that really needs to be out there given what's what's happening in the world right now. And uh, hopefully, we'll give people some value, something to think about.
0: I love that, and thank you so much. I'm really excited to to get a copy of it when it comes out later this year. It sounds amazing, and um, I talk to my clients a lot about. Being connected to source and feeling your truth and I know it sounds a bit esoteric but there is a spiritual aspect to becoming healthier and connecting with your body and feeling your your soul and your body connected and aligned and surrounding yourself with an environment that supports you and being the best version of you but addictions derail us and you mention eliminate toxic addictions and cravings. So I was wondering, why does the human condition need to escape by using addictions? It's not as simple as physical addiction to a substance. It's the psychology, too. So what are your views on this?
1: Okay, that's a terrific question. Um, The way I look at addictions, I I mostly work on food addictions now. I kind of leave the more complex addiction to uh, the recognized specialist in that area. Uh, But in terms of the addiction side of things, my, my approach is that it's individuals who are really seeking some form of escape from what's happening right now. And that's uh, one of two ways that we often manage stress. Um,
0: The first one is to escape it by, you know, wherever it might be, it's a distraction usually,
1: you know, whether it's a cigarette or or a glass of whiskey or um, a sugary food, whatever it might be. Um, But the other way that I look at is actually releasing ourselves from that stress. And that tends to be healthy activity that will actually physically make us feel better and uh, not just take our mind off it, but actually get us right away from it. So they tend to be activities like exercise or walking or meditation. And uh, it's something I wrote about in my second book, Killing Stress, in a bit more detail. But I think it's important to understand the difference between that escaping and that releasing. The escape is just a transient distraction from stress. And afterwards, oftentimes we actually feel even worse. Whereas releasing, you know, if we've if we been to the gym and lift the weights for 45 minutes, um, I don't know uh, how if, if this is something you often do, but um,
0: yes. I personally
1: feel like my stress levels are close to zero after that. Um, feel very energized and I feel absolutely ready for my day. So uh, I think um, it's an important distinction to understand. And like I said, I do go into a bit more depth about it. But once we really understand it, we can manage that side of things so much more healthily and effectively without actually having any detrimental impact on our physical bodies.
0: That is such a beautiful distinction. And you have articulated beautifully something I've been grappling with for the last six months, this idea of bottling up stress, releasing stress or, or sidestepping and escaping from stress and not dealing with it. And... I I think you've just said that so beautifully, but you did touch on food addictions and um, we haven't prepared for this, but I'd like to explore your views on food addictions because it will help my clients so much. I, I help my clients lose a third of their body weight, sometimes half of their body weight in one year in a transformational program and I measure their body fat percentage every two weeks to make sure they're losing fat and not muscle, and I manage their nutrition, and uh, we have daily accountability conversations on WhatsApp to make sure that they're staying on track and that they're treating their body um, with the best possible care and giving it what it needs and nothing that it doesn't need. However, these food addictions can resurface. They could be psychological. They could be a trigger from a trauma. And the thing is, you weren't born large. You became bigger because of your unhealthy relationship with yourself and with food as your addictive soothing substance of choice. That's one of my phrases. So do you have views on food addiction that you'd like to share?
1: Yes, uh, I think when people get cravings for unhealthy, usually it's, it's sugary foods or starchy foods, um, in my experience. And I think a lot of that arises from having an imbalance in our nutrition in the first place. You know, we haven't actually given our bodies the nutrients that it needs to support and sustain itself. If we have a really healthy and delicious whole food meal, we're not going to get cravings or addictions for, um, uh, puddings or desserts afterwards. Uh, we're not going to want to go and get some chocolate in the evening because we feel nourished. We feel like we've, uh, you know, that the body's received what it wants and, and it's very content and happy. And uh, the other element to it, obviously, is good, healthy hydration. I, I, I um, always talk about that, uh, and I think it's an essential element to it. And increasingly, the use of probiotics. Um, there was, uh, there's been some evidence, and you know, the whole area around probiotics is still sort of um, being understood, and you know, the whole um, microbiome. Uh, but it's thought that certain gut flora actually. It's off the craving for sugar. You know, they're very um, dependent on having a regular delivery of sugar-rich foods. And it's thought that that can actually trigger a lot of the um, the cravings that we get. So if we ensure that our gut flora are actually healthy and you know we're, we're supporting and, and we're also getting a good whole food diet, we can actually uh, prevent a lot of these cravings using that approach. But it sounds like you're also doing some incredible work in this area as well, so um, I probably don't uh, don't need to add much to the work you've already done.
0: If you give your your body what it needs and nothing that it doesn't need, and you are vigilant with what goes in and you are the guardian and you're responsible for that, and you give your body what it needs, nothing that it doesn't need. Everything that goes in gives you something, gives you some sort of nourishment, and it doesn't take anything away, then, you are really putting yourself physiologically, strategically at a good, uh, in a good place to not get physiological cravings, malnutrition, protein, fats, carbs, vitamins, minerals, fiber, water. You, if you give yourself the basics, you build yourself with enough resilience to overcome any small urges that you might encounter. But there are psychological factors. Why you might crave um, mushy foods... Um, or creamy foods, or crunchy foods, the texture of foods. I'm doing this research on how crunchy foods uh, and and anger is, is related, and how chewy foods and rumination of thought uh, and mushy foods is, is love, soothing, nurturing, like mum's milk, and and what the different textures mean when we crave different textures. I find that very fascinating. And watching my clients and how they report back to me things that they want to eat in addition to the healthy food that we have planned for them. And going back into their psychology and what traumas they've experienced that changed their eating behaviors, because normally there's a trauma and that has not been addressed. And from that point onwards, they started to eat in a way that no longer served their bodies optimally. And unless you release that, You will always go back and bounce up to the weight that you were before you started your diet plan, if you wish. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah, there was, uh, I just wanted to mention, I I went to this uh, retreat about, uh, oh gosh, 10 years ago. And it was a health retreat. So it was still a lot of fun. And one of the things they said to us was, eat to your heart's content. Uh, but the food they served was only really healthy, fresh, organic, whole food. So lots of vegetables, lots of salads, a little bit of fruit, some fish. And it was absolutely delicious. And there was no limit. you could go to the buffet as, as often as you wanted to. But by the end of the week, everybody lost weight and everybody felt healthy and energized. And, you know, we all slept really well. It was it was incredible uh, just by looking at the actual of the the quality of the nutrients that we were getting. And people weren't getting those cravings or, you know, desires to go and have anything sugary or sweet or artificial. Um, it was all because we, we were managing to nourish our bodies the way
0: they're intended to be yeah so um I I, uh in 90% of the cases do you find that it's so ironic do you feel embarrassed sometimes if you as a health practitioner as a fellow health practitioner help me out here do you find that if you ever have a day where you're not feeling as healthy you find it ironic dishing out health advice when you're croaking on a podcast do you find that
1: (laughs) It doesn't happen nearly as often as it used to when (laughs) I wasn't taking my health seriously. Oh, okay. Um, You know what? (laughs) Before I was a human being, and, you know, we have good days and bad days, don't we?
0: Okay, I'm going to go on the human front and and, and call for empathy. (laughs) Never mind. No, so, um, yeah, in 90% of cases, just having all these vitamins and minerals flushing through your system is enough to keep the cravings at bay. What I will say is... When you're obese and there's depression, anxiety, and you you tend to be used to having that insulin rush, you know, that carb hit. And having spinach isn't going to hit your dopamine in the same way as as that cake and that icing on that cake, that sugar rush. And that's addiction to sugar. Um, you know, when you're depressed and, and you want to be happy and feel happy instantly and you want to escape from a feeling you'd rather not face and you want that happy feeling you know sugar is is as addictive as cocaine there's several studies on this and that releases dopamine instantly and um managing mood and the psychological reasons why people overeat is fascinating but your health retreat sounds great
1: uh, you, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if we look at how how that works and, and the fact that it does release dopamine so quickly and what that does to us, but it also wears off very quickly. Whereas instead, if you go to the gym and you engage in exercise, whether it's cardio or weights, you'll find that you still get an incredible rush afterwards and it lasts a lot longer and you don't have those sort of unhealthy side effects like bloating or wind or whatever it might be. You don't have that tiredness afterwards. You have quite the opposite. So it's about you know understanding what your body will really benefit from and just giving it a go and, and actually challenging yourself, inviting yourself to take up a challenge. A friend of mine who is a health and fitness uh, coach in San Diego, uh, he recently shared his fitness program with me on, on my podcast. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to commit to doing this for 28 days. And by day three, I was addicted. I uh, was just loving the effects that it had on me. Uh, I'd go to the gym first thing in the morning, and I was just so excited and pumped and energized afterwards. I was just, you know, one hundred percent ready for my day. And I've maintained it ever since then. So it, I think it comes back to you know understanding what it is you're seeking and finding a healthier way to get there.
0: Mm-hmm. And you've got uh, individual clients, and you also work with companies. So tell us a little bit about your ideal clients and and why.
1: Okay, well, the main trait that people have to have uh, to be an ideal client is is really to be open minded, and have some sort of specific health goal. You know, what what is it they're seeking? What do they want from their health? I think, I mean, as you mentioned the NHS earlier on, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the National Health Service. We're very privileged to have that. And uh, doctors do their very best to take people away from illness, but not necessarily into that state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being that we define as health. So that's really what I want to show people how they can achieve it. And what's important to understand is that most people don't need to make... Massive wholesale lifestyle changes. It's really about finding two or three simple changes that they can incorporate into their busy lifestyles that just have a knock-on effect on everything else. So usually I work with people around about the age of 30 to 50, open-minded, but who are experiencing a lot of stress and really wanting to get balanced in all areas of work and life with some sort of specific health goals, whether it's getting into shape, having more energy, Uh, You know, addressing tiredness or lethargy, um, uh, you know, just wanting to feel better about themselves, and thus, as a result of that, improve their performance at work.
0: Yes, I would like you to come on next time, actually, and we'll do a a, one on uh, sleep, actually, and the massive impact sleep has on our health uh, that underpins optimal health. But um, tell us about the companies that you work with and the wellness programs that you uh, install there.
1: So uh, I'm increasingly doing wellness training rather than the uh, consulting side of things because I, I just find it uh, more enjoyable. But basically we go in there and we give presentations to the, uh, the senior leaders and then to the uh, remaining team and give them a sort of broad scope as to how we can look at health holistically, very much based on, on the work I do and what I've written about in my book and then invite them to look at just you know, taking on those two or three changes that can, that can affect everything, looking at you know, the culture of the organization and what we feel they would actually engage with. Because if, not, if they're not going to engage with it, then it's not going to do anything. You know, everyone's wasting each other's time. Uh, so you know, we've got to find those things that they can do, they're willing to do, and they're ready to see the results from. And you know, we measure that then after that uh, from you know, looking at, employee happiness, looking at number of sick days taken, um, looking at the bottom line of the organisation. And, you know, hopefully we, we start to notice improvements there.
0: Yes, and I, I was reading this uh, article in The Times about how companies are trying to prevent their uh, their employees going on antidepressant medication and anti-anxiety mm-hmm. medication to deal with the stress and pressures of uh, the modern-day Uh, Workload, which seems to only be increasing, and I haven't seen humans improve. uh, So I don't know why the work has gone up, but we haven't increased our own personal capacity. Um, But we've never had so much abundance, and yet we've never had so much depression. And in your blog, you talk about when the pills don't work, and I love that. So let's explore that together.
1: Okay, so yes, I talked about this. uh, I touched on it earlier on, actually. Uh, That. Depression, um, you know, we we all have, we've all experienced some feelings of low mood in our times. And that's very different to clinical depression. Um, Now, what we need to understand is that when we're helping someone with depression, it's not a matter of just throwing pills and seeing what sticks, of course. You know, antidepressants only work in severe cases of depression. And this is something a lot of people don't understand. If people have mild to moderate depression, Antidepressants really don't do that much at all. In fact, they're not recommended. That's when people need to look at other things such as counselling, psychotherapy, cognitive behavioural therapy, and embrace the benefits that can be experienced from that. But also look at lifestyle factors. You know what are the what's happening around that individual that's causing them to feel low, and uh, how can we do that? What can we do to help them? Um, and it can be very challenging, particularly when it's someone that we're close to. Who is clearly feeling low um, and possibly clinically depressed? How do we how do we support them? What do we do? How can we really help them understand uh, the best ways that they can help themselves? And I think the piece you're referring to uh, talked about how you know we're seeing more and more medications being thrown onto the marketplace by by kind of pharmaceutical companies and their um, advertising um, campaigns that they do, but I wanted to bring it back to the importance of understanding human connection from one person to another and, and how we can look after and take care of each other, because there's no pen in the world that will ever successfully manage to re- replicate the powerful biochemical effects of human connection, and that's the message I really wanted to get out there from that particular article.
0: You've been so refreshing to speak to today. Out of all the doctors that I've come across, I've found you very reassuring, very proactive and very intuitive. So thank you very much for coming onto the show and bearing with me and my vocal cords. Oh,
1: you're very kind. Thank you so much.
0: So thank you, Dr. Hussain, for sharing your inspiring insights and helping the Urban Health Podcast and keeping busy people healthy.